This is the Shift HR Radio Download, where our mission is to serve as a valuable resource for HR professionals and business leaders looking for information that will empower and inspire you to make positive and meaningful impacts in your workplace. My name is Karen Byington, and I'll be your host today. In our first episode, I introduced you to Katherine Nook Freeman and Suzanne Sarah, the founders of Shift HR Compliance Training, and also the co-founding partners of the employment law firm Nook Freeman and Sarah. I'm happy to say that I have them both back with me today. Welcome back. Thank you. Thanks, Karen. Happy to be here. So in that first episode, you provided our listeners with a top three list of priorities for 2017. And at the top of your list, you had updating your training programs in light of what the EEOC had come down with in their new guidelines. So I thought this would be a great opportunity for us to dive deeper into that EEOC report that came out and really what was the... um, the source behind it and what their mission was in creating it in the first place. Great. So do you mind telling us a little bit about that? Absolutely. So it's actually very exciting for us employment lawyers. This is the first task force report of its kind. So what happened was in the EEOC was very troubled by the fact that despite sexual despite the fact that sexual harassment's been illegal for over thirty years, that the number of charges is continuing to grow, and that despite the education we've been doing to companies about training, that the number of sexual harassment cases don't seem to be decreasing. So the EOC actually put together the first task force of its kind, which was charged with a very specific mission, which was to go out and to interview companies and to try to figure out why sexual harassment complaints and charges are not decreasing. Um, And the task force was was 16 experts from all different fields, academia, labor, uh, representatives from employers, representatives from uh, employee side, and they spent a year and a half doing extensive research to try to identify some of the reasons that sexual harassment charges don't seem to be decreasing and issued a very detailed and lengthy report that's been very illustrative to those of us in the field. And what was great about that report was that they they went beyond the legal focus and they really looked at and analyzed the causes and effects of harassing behavior in the workplace and, and had a large discussion on what could be done to prevent it. So it was very proactive in its in its approach. Right, and the, and the findings are very practical. Mm-hmm. So when they were investigating, did they find out why there had been no improvement um, in the past? Were they really able to take you know, research that had happened before and figure out why? Well, what was surprising and a little bit troubling, again, to those of us that specialize in this area is that the task force found that really the research in this area has very much been lacking and that there's not a lot of research to rely upon in large part because companies aren't necessarily comfortable sharing their information and their statistics. So the task force spent a year and a half doing its own investigation and detailing its findings in the report. Right. So, uh, And the good news, if I can add to that, is I think what we're seeing now at Shift when we're interacting with companies who are looking to do this type of training, whether it's preventing harassment and discrimination, whether it's raising unconscious bias awareness, now they're asking the question, what can we do to measure our training to make sure it's effective. So I think there is a change in mindset and we're seeing more and more employers who want to figure out a way to measure and want to figure out a way to analyze whether their training is effective. Right. So in doing all the research over the last year and a half, what were some of the major findings that they found? 
Well, one of the most troubling findings was that workplace harassment remains a consistent problem for most businesses in the United States. In fact, one-third of the 90,000 charges that were filed with the EEOC in 2015 included an allegation of harassment. And so, you know, that's, that's a troubling statistic. Equally troubling is that despite the fact that the charge numbers are remaining consistent, is that they also found that workplace harassment often goes unreported. In fact, they, the, the task force report said that three out of four individuals who experience harassment in the workplace never even report it. So those two statistics taken together were very troubling. And again, that's why the findings and the recommendations are so important because the results were that sexual harassment is continuing to be other, and other types of harassment are continuing to be a, a real challenge for companies. Yes, still staying a problem. And why do they think there's so much underreporting? Were they able to figure that out? They, they believe it's a combination of lack of training so that they're not getting the information out to the workforce about how employees can protect their rights, what you know, where the lines are drawn and who to report complaints to. And then I think also they found that a lot of employees are, are concerned about retaliation, again, which is something that can be addressed through the right type of policies and the right type of training. So these, like you said, these statistics are pretty surprising that in all this time there has not been the improvement that we were expecting to see. So is the EEOC really saying that it's a company's moral and ethical obligation to change culture, or is there more to it? I think it's a combination of things. So obviously there's a legal impetus to try to, to address this issue because, you know, the sexual harassment and the other types of harassment charges can be very, very expensive. Um, you know, just one statistic that's probably interesting to the, to the audience is that the EOC alone recovered over $164 million um, for workers alleging harassment in 2015. And that's really just the tip of the iceberg because that doesn't include all the private lawsuits that are filed in state and federal court. So there's obviously the legal imperative for companies, but there's also a real business case for preventing harassment on, in addition to the legal exposure. Um, you know, there's a lot of evidence that shows that when there's harassment in the workplace that employees have reduced productivity, um, there's increased turnover. It definitely dampens employee morale on all sides, not only the person that's maybe the target of harassment, others that are also witnessing it. And also a big issue for a lot of companies, especially large publicly traded companies, is the reputational damage that even a claim can do mm -hmm. if, the, if, if the facts leak out and, uh, and get exposed in press and social media. Yeah, and, and they're concerned not only from the perspective of their clients, will this damage their reputation with respect to their clients, but also will it brand them as a place where nobody wants to come work when they are seeking a diverse and inclusive environment? You know, we were talking to one employer about, you know, the impact on their clients' bad PR if they're sued for harassment discrimination, and they said, yes, that, and of course, we don't want to be known throughout the graduate schools, the MBA programs, as the place nobody wants to come work because it's not a welcoming place. So that's a great point, and especially with, with uh, apps like Glassdoor out there where it's so easy to get information about prospective employers. Mm -hmm. It really can, the reputational harm is something that I think a lot of companies are very much concerned about. Yeah, I've read that in a lot of HR magazines are reporting on that as well, is that Glassdoor and social media and the coverage of this really affects their recruitment. And all these top companies are wanting the top you know, employers, you know, employees, and they're really getting pickier about where they're willing to work. So absolutely it's an interesting dynamic. Yeah, in the world of social media, it's just so easy for even allegations to get uh, publicized. And so really the reputational piece is a, is, is a very important part of why this stuff needs to be addressed. Right. So if a company recognizes this and they really want to do the right thing, 
Um, what does the EEOC recommend? Well, it's interesting. This question is something that we asked ourselves a few years ago before this report came out. And it's really one of the reasons why at SHIFT we offer not just a straight preventing harassment and discrimination course, but one that goes beyond and addresses the issue of unconscious bias awareness. Because you need to do a number of things, according to the EEOC and according to our recommendations as well. One, you need to make sure that the the training and the changing of the attitudes within the organization come from top company leadership. So there's absolute buy-in from the top level. And then second of all, you need to make sure that your training is effective because it's clear that the training that employers have been providing over the past few decades, it's not working. Instead, it needs to be part of a more holistic culture, more of a comprehensive program through the organization. There's really a drastic change between what the EEOC is saying now in this report versus previously. So they're saying you need to be training your workforce multiple times a year, not once every two years, not once every couple years, not even once a year. They're saying multiple times a year. You need to have a comprehensive training program and you need to go above and beyond just discussing the legal requirements of harassment and discrimination, whether it's going further and addressing issues of workplace respect, workplace civility, or addressing those issues that I mentioned earlier about raising awareness of unconscious biases in the workplace so that the training can become more effective in impacting behavior within the workplace. Right. So none of those came as a surprise to you then when the EEOC was putting those standards down because it really is, you know, the same things that I've heard you talking about, you know, over the last few years. Absolutely. And even before that at, at your firm and what you were recommending to your clients. Absolutely. I think probably the biggest deviation just in terms of the specifics was the recommendation that training be done multiple times a year. That was the mm-hmm. only thing that, you know, just the timing of the training. We re- we've always recommended that to clients, but to have the EEOC issue it as a best practice, I think, is really helpful in trying to get us to, you know, convince our clients that, that it's worth spending resources on training. Right. Mm-hmm. So one of the biggest deviations from what had been known as the standard in the past and what companies were kind of comfortable knowing every other year might be acceptable and now that's sort of shifting. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. And another big one that not all companies were doing previously, which is really essential, is making sure that the training program that they give to managers is truly directed towards managers and the issues managers face on a regular basis. So for example, teaching managers how to respond to complaints that might come to their attention that might not necessarily be called a complaint. It could be a concern an employee has. It could be an issue an employee has. But if it looks or smells like a complaint, even if it's not called a complaint, managers need to know when to identify those things as complaints and then know what to do to them. How, how do they handle it? When do they escalate to human resources? When do they get others involved versus when do they handle it on their own? So that's a big area where training really needs to spend a lot of time to educate managers. Got it. So in addition to differentiating between employees um, and supervisors and changing the frequency that you might be doing training, what are some of the other things you can remind listeners that the EEOC is recommending as changes? Yeah, another big one, and it, it never really ceases to amaze us how many employers don't do this, is that you need to train all your employees. And that's part of the reason, truthfully, why online training has become 
more um, more of a necessity because if you're an employer with 10,000 employees or 40,000 employees or even 1,000 employees, you can't necessarily afford or make it administratively feasible to train every employee in person. But the bottom line is if you're choosing only to train your managers because you think, well, that'll at least help set the tone, the problem is you've got potentially hundreds or thousands of other employees who don't necessarily know what's prohibited by the policy, who don't necessarily know where to go to report concerns or ask questions about the policy. And so you're completely leaving yourself exposed if those employees who haven't been trained have issues in the workplace. So you really need to be training all of your employees. Start with the top down, but you need to train all of them somehow, some way. Absolutely. And one other thing that the task force highlighted, which we've always recommended, and which you know the shift training does, is that the training should go beyond just providing a legal analysis or, or, or legal explanation of what's prohibited, but it, that it should provide real-world examples of behavior that is acceptable and behavior that's unacceptable. And so we've built the shift training in a way, actually drawing on our years as employment lawyers and using facts from real life scenarios and real life cases that we've encountered over the last 25 years so that we're really demonstrating for the learner the types of behaviors that they see every day and what's acceptable and what's unacceptable. Right. So it's really going to ring true to them as opposed to being stock scenarios that they're so trite they don't even pay attention to anymore. Absolutely. We, we, we made everything very nuanced so that everybody would come out of this training learning something that's brand new, which is uh, you know, one, of the, one of the things that we were intent on when we built the training, creating all these aha moments as the, as the learner goes through the training. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, and like you said, the other... Um, unique piece of the shift training, which is something that the EEOC kept going back to, is that you have to go beyond just the prevention of harassment. You really need to talk about overall culture. It needs to start from the top, um, and whether it's civility or unconscious bias awareness to really get to the root cause of why people are behaving the way they are. Until you do that, you're not really going to see that shift in behavior that I think companies are really hoping to get out of their training. Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head. Great. So if our listeners have more questions about the report or they want to talk to somebody in more detail about the training that you offer at SHIFT, how can they best reach out to you? Well, we have a team of subject matter experts, and they'd be happy to answer any questions that our listeners might have or take the time to talk to them about their existing training programs. Um, We could even show a demonstration of our online training, which not only covers the harassment discrimination, but digs deeper and addresses those issues of unconscious bias awareness. So for any listeners interested, they could call 1-800-790-5030 or go to our website, getshifthr.com. Or lastly, email me directly at info at shiftelt.com. That's great. Well, thank you so much for coming back with me today. It's been great talking to you again. You always have such great information, and hopefully our listeners um, were able to take down a lot of notes this time. Thanks, Karen. Thanks so much, Karen. Good. And that's all for this podcast, and we look forward to having you back with us again. Our next episode, we're going to bring in Shift's Director of Social Science Research, and we're going to talk about bias in the brain and why all humans are created to be biased. Have a great night. Take care. Thank you.